Welcome back to The Signature of Man, a podcast dedicated to pursuing truth in the philosophy of art and beauty. This is episode two of The Signature of Man podcast, and I'm your host, Miguel Benitez Jr. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Dwight Lucas. Dr. Lucas is from Danville, Illinois. He's married to Amber, and they have a four-year-old son named Benjamin. Dr. Lucas graduated with a degree in studio art from Illinois State University. He has a master's in humanities from Tiffin University and a doctorate of philosophy in humanities from Faulkner University. His dissertation was on Plato and Augustine's critiques of poetry, and he argued that contrary to popular opinion, their critiques of poetry are dissimilar because they correspond to their differing philosophical, theological, and anthropological viewpoints. Dr. Lucas is a professor of graphic design at Danville Area Community College, and his research interests include poesis and human suffering. He's currently working on a manuscript that argues how a soul ontology provides greater insight into what suffering is than a social ontology. Dr. Lucas and I discussed the subject of his dissertation as we explored some of the different views that Plato and Augustine had about poetry. So, Dr. Lucas, uh, I'm, I'm calling you doctor because I joke with my wife that when I get my dissertation done and graduate, everybody's going to be calling me doctor, so I figured I should start off by calling you doctor. Um, thank you for joining me and spending some time in uh, just having this conversation with me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to have you, um, for you to ask me to talk with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so for the audience that doesn't know, um, Dwight and I had uh, the opportunity to a few different classes throughout our doctoral program where we were yeah. classmates. And so uh, we've been able to exchange ideas through that medium and in a little bit of a larger group. But I'm really excited to be able to have our conversation here today. Um, and so the reason why I'm, I'm having you on, and as I mentioned to you before we started recording, you are my second episode, you're my first interview for the Signature of Man podcast, um, and the reason why is because your dissertation really caught my attention, um, and, and, and I think it's a fascinating topic, and I thought that it might serve as a great first interview for this podcast that focuses on the philosophy of art and beauty. So can you tell us a little bit about the topic of your dissertation? Sure. Uh, the topic of my dissertation is the critique of poetry or the critiques of poetry of Augustine and Plato. And I wanted to examine and, and investigate their their critiques and poetry and see how they were different, if they were different at all, and kind of just compare and contrast contrast them in many areas um, of, of their critiques and relate that to their, their philosophical underpinnings and um, just kind of see if there's any, any difference or any um, similarity in b between their, their critiques. Okay, yeah. And it's interesting that you chose... Uh, Plato and Augustine. Um, why? Why is it that you kind of paired those two together? Well, um, I I chose both of those um, 
besides the the initial interest in Plato and Augustine uh, that I have, it's um, Plato. He wrote these uh, dialogues, which we uh, most people know of, like the Republic, Symposium, uh, Phaedrus, just countless other uh, dialogues. And uh, most scholars uh, see those dialogues as somewhat like poetry because they they have these interactions, these somewhat fictional interactions with interlocutors and and other um, speakers in there. So in a way, it's it's poetic, it's poetry, and at the same time, it's philosophy. And as far as for Augustine, I chose him because he was a poet in his past and he has somewhat an affinity to poetry. And um, and they also, in in what I would call one of some of their most definitive works, which is the, the Republic uh, by Plato and the City of God by Augustine, they both critique poetry in, in some way in both of those works. And um, I was really interested in, in how they took poetry and why they critiqued poetry uh, the way they did in those works. Okay, yeah. And when you say critique, because I know there's a few different ways we can use that word, um, are you saying that they kind of put forward uh, like a negative view of poetry? Um, I would probably say... I would say that it definitely for probably Plato more so than Augustine. But um, as far as the word critique, I would use that more in like of to say like an interpretation or right. or how they perceived poetry. Um, I think obviously for for Plato, we have to take it more symbolically. Um, Augustine's doing something something more in um, the City of God, but um, it's more of like a general general interpretation view assessment of of uh, poetry in general yeah um and i wanted to ask you i i've been reading through uh portions of your dissertation haven't been able to finish it all yet but i have been reading through different sections of it am i right in understanding that this dissertation is maybe part of a broader discussion about just how much influence Plato has on Augustine? Is, is that kind of the, the, the conversation you're contributing to here? Yes, exactly. Uh, because there's, there's a lot of scholars, um, and that's somewhat what I'm trying to bring a question to, but there's a lot of scholars that, are, that say that Augustine simply Christianized uh, Platonism um, that he was influenced so much by Platonism that his view of Christianity was was shaped by Plato. And in this dissertation, I'm in a way refuting that, that concept in that Augustine has very formed, uh, developed uh, ideas about um, his, his own philosophy, his own theology that are very, very different from from Plato, and we can see that somewhat in their critiques of poetry. So I'm using the, their critique of poetry like evidence to show that their their views are different. Yep. Yeah, no, that, that's excellent. And that does come out very clearly uh, in it. And I found it fascinating because um, for the most part, those that I've read, um, 
do support the idea that Augustine is heavily influenced um, by Plato's philosophy. Um, and even in my own reading, I guess that's just kind of the way that I've, I've uh, gone about reading him. So, so I am finding that part of the discussion really interesting. Now I'm curious, um, you, it seems like you could have done this in a number of different ways, and you chose to go through their uh, critique, interpretive methods of poetry, um, is that just because of a, a different interest you have in poetry, or what? 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 What made you pick poetry as that um, kind of the the vehicle by which to contrast these two historical figures? Well, I think um, I always had a interest in in art, um, and I've always had an interest in the creation aspect to to art and poetry in uh, Augustine's time and Plato's time, they, poetry meant a lot more than how we use it today. It referred to a word that um, we call poesis, which refers to more like a general term that refers to, to creation of anything. It could be art, it could be um, creation of ideals, of, of the imagination, um, even procreation. It could be any type of creation that that we um, have. And it relates to art. And I think they're using um, their critique of poetry, of art, to, to kind of talk about a larger subject here. And that really interests me uh, to see what their view was on on this larger subject that they kind of use this, the, the poetic, uh, the poetry subject to, to get their ideals out. Okay. Excellent. So, um, obviously we won't have time to cover everything that you cover in your dissertation. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, and narrow that down to, to two areas that we agreed upon, uh, beforehand. And, um, and so one of those areas that you wanted to discuss is the nature and function of myth. Um, so, so where should we start with that? Well, I think um, we should probably start with um, probably just like the differences of, of how they think about, about myth and what myth is for, for Plato and, uh, and Augustine. Um, so do we want to start with, um, with Plato's views here? Yeah, we... Yeah, we can start with that. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I probably can just contrast them a little bit. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, what were some of the things that you discovered as, as you were diving into this research about Plato's view regarding myth and its function in poetry? Um, I think on as far as myth for for Plato, uh, myth was considered to be the epics ha handed down from like Hesiod, Homer, um, and some of the other, other Greek poets um, of his time. And that's how he, he took myth. And we can also understand myth in how he created myth, like in the Republic, how we have the myth of air at the end of the Republic, and even his, um, his myth of Prometheus in, in Protagoras, he he creates a myth there. So myths for Plato were, were like stories. They, they weren't, um, things that actually happened, but they, they were actually 
stories that were supposed to convey some sort of some sort of truth. So the idea is that, um, and I'm just thinking of, uh, and you mentioned, so, so we're we're dealing when we're talking about Plato uh, with someone who is mostly thinking of things like epic poetry. Is that is that kind of his context? I think that's the context that he he critiqued poetry, right? Um, as as far as the way that he developed the idea of myth, because in um, largely in the Republic, he was creating his kind of like new, new um, development of what myth should be. And I think in, in there, it was used as more like of a educational, um, a philosophical instrument or tool to, to lead someone to lead their soul. Um, the, the term that um, I think he uses for that is a psychogogia to, of leading the soul um, towards wisdom. And so myth was a way that it would lead someone philosophically to, to some greater wisdom, some greater, greater truth. Okay. And so, um, just to, to make sure that I'm understanding here and following. So Plato sees poetry's, uh, use of myth, uh, both he sees it this way and also, whether consciously or, or not, he seems to be using it in this way, that myth is more about teaching a lesson or guiding one into uh, the truth. Um, is, is that, or the good, I guess, for Plato, maybe? Is that, is that kind of the, the right way of seeing it? Yes, I, I think so, because I think that's why he had so, so many inhibitions about poetry, about myth-telling, about the right myth, the the fine lie, as he calls it in the the Republic, and um, he just saw it largely as conveying some truth. And when it didn't do this, when it didn't convey some sort of truth, he he really felt um, in danger, or uh, felt that that was a very dangerous thing to happen as far as with myth. And so, for Plato, then it seems that poetry had the obligation to communicate something that is true in in some kind of universal sense right right okay. yeah i think that's how he saw it and um yeah i think he saw it as having the the obligation it, it had to tell something someone um something good and what's interesting is that he thought that he had to somewhat change the myth. It just couldn't be uh, anybody's myth. It had to be told the right way um, in order for people to get the truth. It couldn't be a myth that would promote vices and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, he really thought that myth should be be told in a way to, to make other people good in some way. Okay, excellent. So So that goes into part of the reason why he's kind of fearful of the poets um, because if they fail to kind of fulfill this obligation of telling the right kind of myth, the right kind of story, they lead people astray. They're, they're, they're kind of keeping people um, from accessing the truth or perhaps inhibiting them from being able to access the truth. Right. Okay. Right. So how does this contrast with Augustine's view and the way that myth functions in, in poetry? 
Well, um, I think Augustine, like like Plato, where Plato had Hesiod, Homer, where he was critiquing plays from from Greek poets like him. Um, I think Augustine he Augustine he would take uh, Roman pagan myths, and that was his mode of critiquing their poets, the poetry that is found in those myths, the Roman pagan myths, and he um, critiqued it in that way. But what probably stands out as the, the main difference between Plato and Augustine is how he approached the pa- pagan myths. He didn't approach it like Plato. He, he didn't want the pagan myths to only just be an educational tool uh, or some tool to, to lead them to wisdom, which which in some way he, he did want it to lead them to wisdom, but for Augustine, he wisdom was God. And so that's what he wanted um, people to, to get from poetry. But um, Augustine, he saw poetry, I think more um, as an interpretation in somewhat a exegetical fashion. He would, he would take the poetry and he would use it and take it as truth, even though that the Roman pagan myths were false. It's it's kind of a contradiction there. But he would he would take it as truth, and then just relate that to God, to God's kingdom, and show how the pagan myths are true. What they're saying is true, and and just by relating that to God, to to kind of just open up the the poetry and and just kind of unpack the pagan myths of, of what they're actually saying. Okay, and just for clarification, to make sure we're all following along, um, when you say that Augustine took them as true, um, you mean that in kind of a mystical sense, as opposed to like a historical sense, that they're communicating kind of these universal truths, um, or did he take them as, as just literal history? I... I think he actually, it, it might be a combination of those, but I, I think he more so took them as actual history. The, and that's largely what the city of God is going through. It's going through this historic uh, linear time, and he's explaining um, how the city of God, the city of man, um, interact with each other. But right. I think he takes the pagan poetry um, as true, there's there's a passage in the City of God where he he says that the the pagan uh, poets they their their poets actually say things and they're actually true um, as far as them talking about other gods and and everything like that. But of course, Augustine believes that these are not gods, but they're they're demons, and so I think he takes them as true, but he has to somewhat clarify what the poets um, mean by in their poetry. Okay, yeah, that, that's good. So in general, because of the way that he views this, um, it seems what you're saying is Augustine um, believes that it's appropriate to approach poetry and almost kind of ap- apply a corrective or a redemptive kind of hermeneutic to it um you know because he's almost trying to clarify where it goes off but he still thinks it's worth our investigation and consideration 
Um, in in some way, um, I think think that's right. Um, I think that it, it kind of relates to Augustine, his belief, um, which he he talks about this in in his works like Confessions and the City Guide, where all creation is good, and um, with that being his the foundation of his his belief, like all things are good, that would also include poetry, and even if it, it doesn't matter if it's poet, Christian poetry and it doesn't matter if it's uh, pagan poetry in this case. And so I think um, this being his, his backing, he uses the, the Roman pagan poetry and, and myths somewhat as what I would call pagan gold and just uses that to, to worship God in a way, to use it for, for God's glory, to show off his kingdom and, um, it just goes back to um, his his founding theology. It, it can even go back to to scripture, to where it talks about um, um, all things that are good accord or to God's purpose, um, called according to uh, God's purpose. So I think it goes uh, goes back to that as well. Okay, yeah. So he's actually seeing this as a good contribution. I know also just from some of the studies I've done. Um, that Augustine also sees things like existence itself as as at some level beautiful, right? right. So um, because this is something God has made. So what what I'm hearing you say is he's looking at um, you know this these Roman poets. He's looking at their themes of myth in the poetry, and he's saying um, to there's an extent to which they're communicating truth. And to whatever extent they're communicating that truth, this is something that points us to God. Is, is that right. fair? Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. Great. Um, anything else that we should know before we move on to that to the next um, kind of topic we wanted to cover? Um, no, I think that's... Um, okay. Yep, I think that's it. Okay, great. Yeah. So the second aspect uh, that we wanted to look at um, is Plato and Augustine's view of, uh, on poetry um, when it comes to eros or, or love. Um, so what is it that you found as you started to explore this area? Um, I found that Plato and Augustine, again, had, had very different concepts of what love was, of what eros is. And by love and eros, I, I mean it to mean like um, more like a a general desire, like the, the aspect of desire, um, as far as that, but it also talks, um, about love as well. But Plato, to Plato, Eros was uh, actual, what, what we would call demon or daemon. I'm, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but he referred to Eros as, as the demonic, the, the voice from that communicates between God's and humans and so eros was one of those mediators that that communicated between gods and and humans and he believed that this this mediator which was eros communicated with the poets um and the philosophers in this state of divine madness and um that's kind of like how plato took eros um, to start off. Augustine, on the other hand, 
uh, Eros was more of like a desire, uh, a love for, for God. And, um, it, it could be symbolized somewhat as, as Jesus Christ, as, as being that mediator. But I think, um, it was more so for, for Augustine, uh, a pure desire, a longing for, for God, um, which, which is different than, um, how Plato, uh, visualized it. Okay. Um, so to go back to Plato's view, um, Eros serves as a kind of inspiration. Is that kind of what, because you were saying the poets receive it and the philosophers receive it. Um, is, is that a fair word to use or is it kind of a different concept? No, I think I think it's pretty close to that. It's um, I think um, Plato and or Socrates kind of saw the the voice of of God um, being communicated to people um, as being sent by Eros. Eros was like a messenger sending of of God's voice, or, or was um, God's voice. And yeah, I think it, you we could take it as inspiration. And, um, and, but I think Plato also, even though it was inspiration from God, he felt that there was, was some need to, to still address this, this, uh, idea of Eros. And, uh, that's kind of what he starts to do in, um, in uh, some of his dialogues and when he talks about poetry. Okay, and so could you maybe explain a little bit as to, we know that Plato's very suspicious of the poets and of poetry. Um, what is it about the way that, say, a philosopher would receive Eros um, versus how a poet might? And, and how, do, how do we maybe see why he's suspicious of one but very much uh, in favor of the other? Well, I think he thinks poets um, that they they have they have the tendency to take arrows and just so to speak run with it. It's un unadulterated arrows, unadulterated desire, longing. So it can go in a good way, and then it can also go in a bad way. There's no no control. It's um, it's like um, he, he mentions in Republic where he talks about this yelping dog, like constantly barking and barking. It's like something that he feels he has to put a leash on because it's it's out of control. So I think he thinks poets are unable to to provide that control as 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 opposed to the philosophers. They have the skills of like logic and reasoning to somewhat subordinate poetry subordinate this desire to kind of put it into the right concept to, to temper it down when it needs to be and just place it in its, in its right place so it's just doesn't go to vice and um, so it's just this uncontrolled desire okay good that's that's really helpful so we see that the poets um, because of maybe the way in which they end up expressing it through poetry um, and they're not bound by reason and, and that kind of thing, um, sometimes they end up going off in a direction that Plato sees as, as harmful. Um, I know this doesn't directly 
tie into this aspect of it, but I know too that as poets are seen as kind of focusing on, you know, things like nature and what's happening in the world around us, we know that Plato, because of his view of the forms and things like that, is also uh, concerned with that because he's already somewhat suspicious of um, you know, the visible world, right? And, and right. kind of our reliance on that. And now you almost have like a second, you know, one further removed from the form, right? So mm-hmm. you've got the shadows and now you've got poetry about the shadows, right? And so right. you're kind of moving away from that. So, so that's interesting that you raise um, that it's what they do with this Eros. It's, it's the way in which they put it into play that, that concerns uh, Plato. So, um, going back to Augustine, then you said that Augustine kind of sees um, desire, right? This the, the arrows or desire as um, pointing us to God. Is is that what it was? Um, I think Augustine he sees that the desire it, it could point us to God, and um, and sees love in a, in a poetic way, as far as symbolizing, um, God. But I think as far as in contrast to Plato, where Plato sees, sees this arrow as somewhat of a danger, just because he, he ultimately sees arrows poetry as a, as a tool to, to lead someone's soul to wisdom where Augustine, he doesn't see poetry in that way so love or arrows for him is more so of a way of of enjoying it it's something it's not the the demonic voice of of god it's actually god him himself and and in a way and he sees love as as a symbol that doesn't have to be used like in in an educational way in a philosophical way it can just be enjoyed just in itself it, it doesn't have to do anything it he can enjoy it um and enjoy the the grace of god and i think that's how he he ultimately sees eros where plato he sees eros as how it can be used augustine um more so sees sees it not coming just from him or a utilitarian way but how it's coming to him and how he can experience it participate it in a in a sense, even in a, in a sense of leisure. Okay. Yeah. So that's really helpful. Um, I'm, I'm glad you, you shared that with us. So, so Augustine, if I'm understanding you correctly, is, is making room for the importance of even just what we might call today, like aesthetic participation, like the aesthetic itself is sufficiently important as opposed to thinking that every aspect of a poem has to be teaching us something. Um, is, is that, is that fair? Um, I see. Could you say that question? Yeah. So, so the, uh, the idea of like aesthetic participation, the idea that the fact that it's beautiful and we can just experience it and appreciate it for that, as opposed to thinking it has to have some further message some further kind of teaching 
um, the 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 beauty, the love um, found in poetry can itself just be sufficient for the experience that it produces. Right. I, I would definitely say that um, because I think Plato largely would take poetry from a epistemological point of view to where it has to teach him something that he knows to teach others that something that they know. But Augustine, he takes it more as a, I don't know if I would say like a revelation, just something that he just enjoys, just something almost like a arts for art's sake, but maybe not so much that, but just enjoying the beauty of it. And there's no further explanation needed um, after experiencing something like that. Okay, good. That, that's, that's really helpful. Um, we understand that both of these thinkers, both of these scholars are dealing with poetry that in many ways is different from the kind of poetry we encounter today. Um, do you, do you see one kind of over the other, um, as being more on the right track? I know that your research has largely just been comparing them, but... As, as you indicated, you have an interest in art, and I know that you're very thoughtful about these things. So do you find one perspective closer to the right one, or um, have, you, have you not really given that much thought yet? Um, I, I think I, I actually have given that some thought, um, and I had a hard time because I at first wanted to side with with Plato's way that he critiqued poetry. And then the more I started looking into both of their, their critiques, um, Augustine's way of critiquing poetry became more, more and more interesting. And um, I would say that Plato, his critique of poetry is interesting to the fact that his critique is poetry itself. It's, it's, we're not actually hearing poet or Plato critique poetry. We're hearing one of these characters, Socrates, critique poetry. And so in a way, the whole work, his whole dialogues are poetry. So um, it's rich with symbolism. We could we could take his, his critique in many different ways, which uh, by that I mean poetry could mean a lot of different things um, to, to anyone who reads his dialogues. Um, and there's scholars are still trying to find out what, what Plato means when he says the word poetry. It's, it's, that's very much still up for a debate. Uh, Augustine's way of critiquing poetry is interesting because he, in a way, poeticizes Plato because I think he was influenced by Plato's work, but he also poeticizes um, Plato in that he takes a similar method, a similar avenue but critiques it from a reference point, reference point of the of the kingdom of God, from the city of God, and so his interpretation is also rich in symbolism. Um, it's also rich in meaning, but it is less up to debate because he actually points to it referring to the kingdom of God, like the gods actually symbolizing demons um and all these things that are happening in poetry he kind of explains how they relate to scripture 
and how they relate to God. And so um, I would say Plato's more, his, his critique is more open as far as open to interpretation. And I like that in the poetic aspect, I can kind of play with it and enjoy it. Um, you can read Plato's dialogues over and over again. Um, but Augustine, I, although I can read his works over and over again, it's much more just opening up in a way, the word of God, God's kingdom uh, for me. And just, um, I found that um, to be a little bit more, more uh, rewarding in a way and more, I guess, uh, clear. He, he made a, a clear argument and that, that I kind of appreciate it a little bit more. Okay, excellent. And, and so kind of leading us back to what we opened with, um, and, and you do go on to discuss more. I don't know if you have any plans for publication of your dissertation. I think it'd be fantastic if you did. But um, so if our listeners ever do get a chance to read it, I think they'll they'll really enjoy it. You 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 hit some of the other aspects in which they differ as they look at poetry. Um, but um, we've we've all kind of heard it, right? Augustine Christianizes Plato. Aquinas Christianizes Aristotle, and that's just kind of the way that it's taught. Is, is what you're saying, um, are, are you kind of getting at the idea that uh, Augustine, by this time, you know, in these works that he's writing and in the way that he approaches a critique of, of poetry, you're suggesting he's more influenced by Christian thought at this point than necessarily his kind of platonic roots? Yeah, I, I think that's... Um, the gist of, of what I'm I'm trying to say in the in the in the dissertation and um, throughout the arguments and in some cases I I would even say that Augustine is so influenced by Christian thought by Christian values the Christian tradition that he even goes to the point of critiquing Plato himself how he sees poetry how he sees the the world and and he uses um, poetry to, to do that as well. Excellent. So before I let you go, um, I, I'd like for you to kind of let our listeners know, what are you currently working on? Um, what, what might be coming up down the road? I know that you're working on a manuscript for a paper. Um, what is it that, that you're currently researching? Um, well, I'm... Um, Constantly re- revisiting the the idea of poetry and and um, trying to still dissect dissect that out. Um, but um, something that I'm working on now is just the idea of suffering and how suffering is is not only physical. There's aspects of of suffering of the soul and how we just um, how it's needed to to emphasize that. The, the soul, the spiritual side of, of man can suffer just as well as the as the physical side. Excellent. I know I would certainly look forward to reading that when it becomes available. All right. Well, Dwight, again, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you spending this time and having this conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Dr. Lucas. Part of pursuing truth in the philosophy of art will be retrieving the ideas of the past 
that hold up under scrutiny while rejecting the ideas that prove false. Dr. Lucas's work helps on our journey to do just that. Be sure to look out for our next episode in which I have a guest on to discuss the topic of beauty. Is beauty objective or is it merely subjective? Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and share it out on social media. You can also email any comments or questions to the signatureofman at gmail.com.